Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. So today we are going to talk about faith. Not faith like faith without works is dead necessarily, but we're going to talk about faith, Faith Lakeside. We're going to talk about our church and the life that we are to be living in light of being part of this church. Over the next three weeks leading up to our business meeting, our next three Sundays, I'm going to be talking about and sharing with you biblical standards for church membership, for our mission and vision as a church, and then finally the Sunday just before the business meeting, we're going to be talking about giving, and, uh, and talking about giving mostly about money. And it's not uh, my favorite topic, but we will address it because, believe it or not, the lights don't come on for free. We have lots of faith, but not quite that much. So we're going to be talking about those three topics these next three weeks, and then the week after our business meeting, the 23rd, we will uh, begin again in Philippians. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, I think, is where we're going to be kicking off again in just a few weeks. So don't worry, we didn't forget about Philippians. We're going to get back to that verse-by-verse, word-by-word study, but for now, we're taking a quick pause at the beginning of the new year to remind us the importance of living life here as part of the church. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them up to Matthew, and we are going to be looking um, in Matthew chapter 16, and uh, kind of starting in verse 13, and looking at what Jesus has to say. But just for you, a little bit of background, the church, when we're talking about the church Many times we picture the building, and that is not the right picture. In the New Testament, when you read the word church, usually it is the Greek word, excuse me, what is the Greek word? Why did my brain just go, ecclesia, sorry, uh, apparently there's this COVID fog, I'm not going to use that as an excuse, but my brain, things I say all the time, I'm just not remembering. Uh, But yes, ecclesia, which literally means gathering, or it means assembly of called out ones. And so when we talk about the church, it's important for us to understand that it is talking about us. When we see the word church in the Bible, it is not the building, it is us. Now the English word church has a long history, and we kind of struggle with tracing it, but we think... It comes from the word kuriake in Greek. These are English equivalents of those Greek words. If I put the Greek squiggles up there, you might be, you know, like, why? So I'm just giving you the English equivalent of those words, the transliteration. And the the word uh, kuriake, church, derives from kuriakos, which uh, means that which is, er, uh, excuse me, owned by the kurios. So kuriakos is that which is owned by the kurios. Kurios means Lord, and who is Lord? Jesus. And so when we read the word church in English, at its root it literally means that which belongs to the Lord. 
And so whether that's the building that we can rightfully call church because we have dedicated this to the Lord, or in English, when we say church and when we're meaning the ecclesia, the people, we are the people who are dedicated or owned by the Lord. And, and this is expressed in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul who calls himself a doulos, a servant or a slave to the kurios, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as the church at the heart of the word is really meant that the slaves of Jesus, that's who we are. We are the gathering and we are all slaves to Jesus Christ. And you might be offended by the word slave in some form or fashion, but I got to tell you, this is scriptural and it really, we should take it to heart because scripture tells us that we are the possession of a loving and gracious Lord who gave up all the rights and privileges of heaven to be born and come and be in a manger and then lived a perfect and sinless life in flesh, died on a cross for us, rose again on the third day to prove he is who he says he is. Why would we be offended to be slaves for this man, this God, this Savior? Why would we be offended to say we are slaves to Jesus? We are the church. We belong to him. And when we understand that we belong to him, it should help us to understand what it means to be part of this fellowship and this gathering. Because ultimately, if we belong to him, he is the one who dictates the terms of belonging to this fellowship. So let's look in Scripture. Let's try and understand a little bit about what it means to be part of the church. Once again, if you have your Bibles and you've opened them up to Matthew chapter 16, and starting in verse 13, I'm just going to try and explain a little bit of what's going on here. Jesus and his disciples, they've gathered together. They're in Caesarea Philippi area, and he asks his disciples in verse 13, who do people say that the Son of Man is? So he asks his disciples, what's the crowd saying? What's the rumor about who I am? And they reply in verse 14, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So there were lots of conceptions about who Jesus was. And in the culture of the day, none of them were quite right. People were not understanding. They thought he was an Old Testament prophet come back to life. Or they thought he was John the Baptist resurrected. And so Jesus then asks his disciples in verse 15, But you, he asks them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And then Jesus says this, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So what we see here is that Jesus was going to establish his church on this profession of faith, this statement that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. 
This is not a, a, a proof like some of our Catholic friends might see that Peter was the first pope. Rather, it is a clear statement that Jesus is going to build upon this profession of Peter that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what is he going to build, folks? What does he say? His church. His gathering of servants. And Jesus says, great pastors with vision and lots of money will build my church. No. He says, I will build my church. He is the one who is in charge. He is the one who will establish the gathering. And when we see what Jesus has said here, we understand both that there is a universal church, the, the body of believers all around the world, and he is constantly building us up as a church worldwide. But if he's doing it worldwide, is it hard to believe that he's doing it here too? And I have to say, I think that he is. In fact, I believe it to be the case. I know it to be true that Jesus himself is at work in this gathering of his servants. He is the one that's responsible for building us. And we are not our church. This is not your church, though we want you to belong here. This is whose church? Jesus. This is his church church. And if it's his church and we're just slaves to the master, to the Lord, what does that mean? It means he gets to set the standards. He gets to dictate what it means for us to belong here. He gets to tell us what we're supposed to be doing. Now we can, we can flesh that out into our cultural applications, but ultimately it is Jesus who is building us up. And we are his church. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's using the picture of a body, and each member being a body part. And he says this, But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body by accident, just because he wasn't sure what to do with them. No. God has arranged each one of the parts in the body, the church, his gathering of slaves and servants, and he has arranged us just as he wanted. Which means you're here today, and you're part of this body, whether regularly or even just irregularly and tangentially. You're part of this body, not by accident, not because our website was better, not because, just because you drove by and said, ooh, I like the sign. But ultimately, even if those things were part of what got you here, you are here because God has arranged this gathering just as He wants. That's why you're here. And if that's the case, this is not an accident. This is not a, a, a happy little coincidence. It's because you're supposed to be here. And you should be both thrilled by the fact that God is in control and scared to death about figuring out, so why is it I'm here, God? I mean, I want to be faithful. I want to know why I'm part. Who am I in this body? How am I supposed to function 
in it. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and he says this, So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, though some of us are a little strange, we are not strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on, where, where have we seen built on before? Who's building? Jesus. I will build my church on this profession of faith that you've made, Peter. I will build. So we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Who's doing the building? Jesus. If Jesus is doing the building, every one of us has been placed here with purpose and intent. I I used to do construction when I was younger. I don't know that I could do it much anymore, but I can try. I still have some of the skills. It's in the fingers somewhere. It hides. But I have done bricklaying, actually. And let me tell you, that is not easy work. Block, brick and block, the big cinder blocks, you know, my goodness, that'll make you a, a person and a half when you're doing that kind of work. And, and I, I used to do some of that, and, and I, I did stonework with my father as well. And my father, as we were building this stone wall outside of our home church, he would say to me, every stone has its place, and every place has its stone. He, he, he would encourage me to look through the pile of rocks and find the rock that would most perfectly fit the space that was left in order to build the wall. And we were working to build this wall about three feet high and, you know, we didn't want it to just look like lump. And so you had to find the right rock to fit in the right space. And he encouraged me, Michael, there, there is in this great big field of rocks, there is a place for every one of these rocks. And for every place that you're standing there wondering, how am I going to get two flats to to get the side and the top and this thing that's kind of heart-shaped to fit in? How is it going to work? Every place has its rock. And that's what Jesus is doing with us. And when he is building the church on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, we are the stones who are being built up into this building, this church And every place has its person, and every person has their place. And so, as we read passages like this, that we are being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone, in him the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. God's plan and his purpose is to build a church here in this place. And we, we could be either the beginning of this great work or we can be satisfied and say it's done. And I have to tell you, I, I am proud of every one of you and I am thankful for everyone here, but I don't think God's done with building us into the church he longs for us to be. But it's going to begin with everyone who's already here understanding that you have been put here for a reason and that you are part of us being built up into God's dwelling in the Spirit. And if you see a hole in the church, you see a place that's lacking, it's because there's a stone, a body, a person who hasn't been plugged into it yet. 
and you're maybe a stone, a body, you're sitting out on the side saying, I don't know where I belong, there's a place for you. Every place has its person, and every person has a place in the body of Christ, in the temple that he's building, in the dwelling place for the spirit that he's establishing. You belong here. And you belong not just to sit and consume, but you belong to be part of and to fill a specific spot within our building up. Here's a truth you need to grab a hold of. The church belongs to Jesus, not you. This is not your church. The greatest mistake a pastor or a team of elders can make is to think that this is their church. This is not my church. This is Jesus' church. And I have to remember that too. And guess what? He is the one who builds it up and equips it ultimately. Now we seek to be faithful to teach good things, to find good programs. But we can do amazing things and we could actually have a sanctuary full six times every Sunday and still never be the church we're supposed to be because it will have been built up by the things of mankind and by tickling ears and attracting people with nonsense. But if we're faithful and we focus on Jesus as our Savior, He will build us up and equip us. He will make us into what we are supposed to be as a gathering. And so, if we have this clear understanding that the church belongs to Jesus and that we belong to Jesus and He places us in the church according to whose pleasure, whose desire, whose plans, not ours, but His then we can be more motivated and excited about being part of this gathering. Your gifts, your talents, who you are is critical to this church being built up. It's critical. But we're not just here to do nice things together. We're also here to care for one another and in very specific ways. Jesus says this in Matthew 18, starting in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, Go on Facebook or Twitter and say terrible things about them and make sure everyone knows that they have wronged you. Now, if your brother, and he's talking about the church here, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother Understand, at the heart of fellowship in the church, this belonging to the Lord should be the ability to talk to one another about sin and to say to each other, you hurt my feelings. You wronged me. You sinned against me. Now, will we hurt each other inadvertently? Will we make mistakes? Absolutely. But when it's intentional or accidental, it doesn't matter. We should be coming to one another and seeking to make things right. You were put in this body for a reason. Now make things right. And it's interesting, the technique that Jesus uses, that he tells us we're supposed to use, is it starts one-on-one. And then it escalates a little bit. If, if one-on-one doesn't work, but if he don't, won't listen, take one or two others with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. So you start 
on your own confronting sin or wrongdoing against you. Then you move with bringing a couple of other trustworthy believers along. And then if they still don't repent, if he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. This is a process that we would call today church discipline, where it starts one-on-one. You've wronged me. You've hurt me. Will you, will you repent of that? Will you say you're sorry? No. Okay. I bring two friends. You've hurt me. You've wronged me. They understand the wrong. It's provable. It's clear. Would you repent? No. Then we come to the, the whole church. Now, this is not something we're going to make space for on a normal Sunday morning service. Uh, it's not going to be, okay, so like Festivus, we're going to have the airing of grievances once every Sunday. Um, we're not doing that. But what we are is you come to myself or one of the other elders and say, there is an issue between myself and this person, and I have already included these two faithful brothers or sisters, and we've talked to them. Here are the circumstances. Here is the proof. And the elders will say to you, yes, we see. Or, no, you're not quite right in this. You need to, to be the one who makes amends. And then if, if it is that there is a wrong that's been perpetrated, we might bring it before all the members of the church, those who have called themselves members of the church by affiliation, and we'll say, we need to vote on this person and decide what happens. Dealing with sin is supposed to be part of our life. It's supposed to be part of what we do as a church. You want to you say, well, that's just one outlier 1 Corinthians 5, 2, the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, and, and there's, uh, verse 1 tells sto- a story about a young person, or a, a man, and his, um, his stepmother, his father's wife, and they were being intimate together. And uh, it doesn't say where the stepfather is, but this is, unex- or the, where the father is, but this is just unacceptable. A man and his stepmother being intimate together. And, and he says this to, to the church in Corinth. And, and you were arrogant. You're standing up and approving this and allowing it in your church. Shouldn't you be filled with grief and remove him from your congregation, the one who did this? Shouldn't you be standing up and casting out unrepentant sin? And this is a question that doesn't really need to be answered. It's rhetorical. The answer is yes. We should be casting out unrepentant sin from our congregation. Hebrews. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. At least we're not sure. Some people have very strong opinions, but it's still part of God's Word, inspired Scripture. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in, uh, won't be in you, uh, uh, won't be in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Daily, we are supposed to be as a church, as the called out slaves of God, as the the ones who serve Christ and owe Him everything, we are supposed to daily be encouraging each other to avoid sin. That is, that is our job as a church. So when you slip, you use, I don't know, you hit your finger and use one of those words, the four-letter ones or the five or six letters or the ten-letter one that you made up to replace the four-letter one even though you mean the four-letter one. 
oh, schnizzle frit, right? I mean, you, you, what you really meant to say was, when you do that, what should you expect from a brother or sister in Christ? That ain't right. Stop that. And what should your response be? Oh, I don't mean it. Well, then don't do it. Right? Stop it. We should expect that. Now, honestly, there is no level of sin for which we should fail to repent. And, and so if you, if you have a habit of cursing and you know it's wrong and God has told you to stop it, and you continue to do it and a brother or sister calls you out and then they bring another brother or sister and, and you talk together, really this can and, and maybe even should more often escalate to the level of coming before the church and saying, this brother or this sister, they cuss all the time and they are unrepentant. They don't care. What should we do, church? There's no level of sin. Now, of course, when we get to things like adultery and we get to things like unrepentant use of pornography and we get to things like, like stealing and we get to things like, like lying and cheating on our taxes. Those are things that should escalate pretty quickly in church life. But Scripture doesn't give us what's, what's the five things we should do. It is any sin we should be dealing with. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, the writer says this, and let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. The word provoke there is like to poke each other in the backside to see that it happens. So not only are we supposed to discourage sin, we're supposed to poke each other in the backside so that we're the better person. Not neglecting to gather together. In other words, don't miss church. As some of you are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. What's the day? Christ's return. As the world gets worse in anticipation of Christ's return, some of us, we just read Revelation and go, oh no, let's hole up and do nothing. And, and the Bible says, as, as, as you think Revelation is beginning to unfold, you should be all the more inspired to encourage one another to do good things and to live life like Christ. Gathering together. You, you see... We are responsible for one another. James chapter 5, verse uh, 13 through 16. If any, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore... Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Dealing with sin and dealing with errant lifestyle should be a regular part of our church life. My brothers and sisters, James writes a little bit later, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Why do we want to help each other deal with sin? Because we could genuinely be saving one another from hell. That the unrepentant, sinful lifestyle that can be evidenced by everything on a scale from murder to using the Lord's name in vain without caring is stuff we should be dealing with. Because all of those things, unrepentant, 
lifestyle are potential proofs that that person isn't saved. And so we want to confront sin when somebody says they're a, a, a Christian because we want to help them work out their salvation with fear and trembling, which is what we're going to read a little bit later in Philippians. So don't wait, uh, or do wait, sorry. Uh, in, in about three weeks, we're going to get to that, and that's good stuff too. But we're supposed to be responsible for and to each other. If you come to this gathering and you're just a stranger, you're missing out on the power of this body. You're missing out on all that that God has for you as a believer because we're supposed to help one another not sin. And when we do sin, we have the confidence that someone will help us overcome it. Man, I got to get moving. Here's some words that God uses to talk about our connectedness. In the New Testament, we're called a household or a family. The church is supposed to be a household or a family. You can see those references. All of this is in the uh, 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 Version Bible app. So if you have that and you want to find our event for today, you can catch these slides or take a quick picture. These are great scriptures to help you understand our connectedness. We're a household or a family. We are a body united together. And the more we understand about our bodies, the more we understand our interdependence. It's not like the heart and the lungs just both kind of do their job and and then the body is great. The heart is dependent upon the lungs. The lungs are dependent upon the heart. We need each other. It's not just do your thing and then come and, and, and it'll all be okay. It is that we are to be completely interdependent on one another as the parts of our body are. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 uses the eye and the ear as examples. Specifically the eye. He says, what if the, the eye decides it doesn't want to be part of the body and it just leaves? So you've got an eye over here and the body without an eye. The body can't see and the eye is worthless. But when they are together and interdependent, they are fruitful together. We're called, as a, as, as a church, we're called the temple or the dwelling of God that's being built up by the power of Christ. That when we are together, the presence of God is more greatly manifest. We will sense God when we are together. We are built to be in community. And it's, uh, finally, this last little bit about the church and the life of the church. Here's what it says about not belonging to one another, but about how God established the functioning of this body or the functioning of this gathering. And it says this, He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. In other words, God has established within the church leadership. And what is the leadership's job? To help you do your ministry. And you might say, well, I don't have a ministry. Then you need to find your ministry. And it's my job, it's Dawn's job, it's Steve's job, it's our deacon's job to help you do your ministry. And you might say, yeah, but I need a million dollars. And we'll say, pray harder. 
But we will equip you to do your ministry. We will teach you biblical truth. We will give you a right worldly perspective. We will help you see things through the eyes of Christ to the best of our abilities. We will do all we can to equip you to do the ministry you were made for in this body. And what will that do when you do your ministry? Who benefits? The whole church. And you might say, well, but nobody, nobody understands or knows about my ministry. It doesn't say they'll all look at your ministry and go, wow. It says when everyone does their ministry, the body will be built up. The church will, will mature both individually and corporately. And we will all look more like Jesus. Doesn't that sound good? But it is dependent upon everyone finding your place and plugging into it and trusting that for who you are, there's a place where you can serve, where you can do ministry. And when you don't know what that is, you come talk to the leadership and we say, let's look for it together. Or God gave you a dream. How do we help achieve it? Or I know exactly what I want to do, but I don't know how to do it. Let's find you the tools so that the church can benefit and we'll all grow up into Christ-likeness. Hebrews 13, as much as it tells us to gather together and to watch out for sinfulness amongst our own ranks, it also says this, obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, some, some leaders, they stop right there and just go, <laughs> and that is wrong and it is ungodly because there are also other places where we as leaders are told to care for you, to not be concerned with our own financial gain, to not do it out of guilt or wrong motivations. And so it's important to read all of Scripture, not just one little clause in one verse. But it is important for you as, as members of the body to understand God has established leadership in the church. And he says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Do you know that that scares me? Because there's... Even in a church our size, we're not huge, but I'm concerned sometimes that I'm not watching over your souls closely enough, that I'm not harsh enough, that I don't call you out enough for some things. That's my responsibility. But understand, Scripture says leadership was given to care for you. And so let's, let's work together. Here's what uh, the, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say. So that they can do this with joy and not with grief. Do you know what, where that grief comes from? When people disappear, when you reject the clear teachings of Scripture, that's when we go back to the, the clause before and say, I have to give an account for your soul. So help me have some joy. Help Don and Steve have some joy in this. Listen, follow, plug in, minister, Serve so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you if we were grieving all the time. Why is it unprofitable for you? Because it means you are unfaithful to your walk with Christ. We're responsible for that. It brings us grief when you don't walk in Christ likeness. And so, if you are bringing us grief, it's because we see you're not following Jesus as you should. Now, 
Are any of us perfect? No. But all of us should be walking toward Christ-likeness. Real simple statement. Jesus gave the church leaders. So we have three truths that we've, we've gotten this morning. Three truths, and I need to kind of double time this. Jesus owns, builds, and equips the church. Who does the church belong to? Jesus. What is the church? The slaves of the Lord. And we are owned by Him and he builds us into a congregation and he will equip us by the power of his spirit. But it doesn't stop there. Scripture also clearly teaches those in the church are responsible for and to each other. Specifically for sin, but also to encourage each other to grow in Christ-likeness. And to help accomplish all of these things, Jesus gave the church leaders. Now, when we think about the church, oftentimes we think of that, about that building in the center of a community, and we think, remember the day when, you know, leave it to Beaver, and everybody went to church, and you knew everybody in the church, and you all had connected lives because you worked together, you played together, your kids all went to school together. Sadly, that is not the case in our day and age. Now, just a quick question. How many of you, just to raise a hand, live outside of Peter's Township, this church's technical community? How many of you live outside of Peter's Township? How many of you drove more than five minutes today? How many of you drove more than 10 minutes today? How many of you drove more than 20 minutes today to get to church? How many of you drove more than half an hour to get to church today? How many of you drove more than 45 minutes to get to church? We kind of drop off there. We have people in our family, in our church family, who drive a half an hour or more to be here. We live in, in communities, if, that, if that's the case. If you started half an hour this way, and I started half an hour this way, how far apart do we live? An hour away from one another. Is it surprising that we find it difficult to connect? Absolutely not. Which means we have to double down on our efforts to connect when we are together. We have got to be able to abandon ourselves and connect. We don't have a church that sits in a little community and we all live right next door to each other and we, we hear so-and-so argue and we hear that family scream and we hear the ones down there praying over dinner. No, we struggle to know each other because we are not a community church, but we are a church of various communities. And that means we've got to double down and work even harder to live the church life we're called to. But too often, we get these kind of concepts in our head. We think that you and I, we get this concept that we own, build, and equip the church. Have you seen that in folks? And maybe even yourself? Well, that's my church, and it's not doing the things I want, so it should change. In today's day and age, we think too much that those in the church are responsible just for themselves. As long as I do my devotions and I do my prayer time, everything's good. But the truth is, is we're responsible for each other. And the other big thing, the other big mistake that we make is we think that church leaders are employees, advertisers, and cheerleaders. 
That we think because you pay a church person a salary, a leader a salary, that you own them. You don't own me. Shelly does. No. My Christ, my Savior, my Lord, He owns me. And I'm only here because of Him. Quite frankly, though my compensation is good, this church does not pay enough for me to want to work here just because of you all. I mean, I, I love you, I care for you, but it's because of Jesus, not because of the paycheck. I am not your employee, I am called by Christ, I am his slave, and I thank you for helping support my ministry and allowing me the privilege to serve you without working outside of the church. But I do it because of him. I am not a great advertiser. When you look at this face, this face does not say, come to church, we're beautiful people. It says, ah! Right? And I am not a great cheerleader. Rah, rah, rah. I feel terrible, but you should feel good about yourself. I'm just not good at that either. Dude is just like gangbusters going downstairs, so don't be scared. We have these misconceptions, which is why it's important for us to go back to Scripture and find the right ones. And that brings us kind of to church membership. And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a little long. I thought I could get through these things faster, but you know how I run my mouth. We're going to get this done, though. A lot of you are thinking church membership isn't important. It just doesn't matter. And I have to tell you that church membership is important for three reasons. Jesus is building us into a church together. He is equipping us. And he is the one who's placed us here. The second thing is, is that as a community of believers, we are responsible to and for one another. And the third thing is, is that Christ has given the church leadership. And so those three things help us to understand because we're not all in the same community and because we're not all in the same little enclave of life, that it is critically important that we raise our hands and we sign statements and we say, I belong here and I want you to hold me accountable. I want you to know I'm going to be responsible for you and I want you to be responsible for me. That's what church membership means in today's day and age especially. Here's a couple of statements from a great book. Copies of it are available on the back table in the sanctuary, Rediscover Church. It says this, Church membership is how we formally recognize and commit to one another as believers. When you say you want to be a member of this church, you're not saying you like my preaching or the music's great or you're going to give a specific amount of money. What it's saying specifically is, I belong here and I commit myself to the people that attend here with me. And when I sin, I want to be called out. And when you sin, I want to have the freedom to, to help you find correction. And I'm going to support the work of this. And I want to see you do your ministry, just like I want to be able to do my ministry. It's our commitment. Church membership is a church's, a, a, a congregation's affirmation and oversight of a Christian's profession of faith and discipleship. When we vote for someone to be a church member, I want you to understand it means something. When you vote, yes, I'd like them to be a church member, it doesn't mean you like what they wore this Sunday. It means I believe that person is a believer and I will participate in the Christian life with them. 
It's combined with the church's or the Christian's submission to the church and its oversight. And that doesn't mean the, the, the leaders. That means the whole church gets to have the privilege of oversight in your life. Now, we don't want to go too far and micromanage each other, but we do want to call each other out for specific unrepentant sin so that we all might grow in Christ-likeness. Here's a statement that you could make in regards to church membership. Once again, from Rediscover Church. This is the particular group of Christians I'm inviting into my life and asking to keep me accountable for following Jesus. I'm asking them to take responsibility for my Christian walk. That's what it means to be a member of this church. I'm inviting you into my life, and I am thankful that you have invited me into yours. Now will you help me be a better believer? That's our goal as members of this church. Another statement within this book, no one gets the church they want, not even pastors, but everyone who faithfully seeks Jesus gets the church they need. We need each other. Some of us are going to drive each other nuts. We're not going to get along. We're not going to see the world the same way. We welcome Democrats and Republicans here. <gasps> and we might argue and disagree. And guess what? It's not going to be the church you want, but if you've been called here, it's the church you need. And if this is your church, stop just attending and be a member. Say, and invite others into your life. Say, I, I'm, I'm pretty sinful. I need some help. I need somebody to wag their finger and chew me out a little more often. And so that brings us to this final thing. Most of you should have been uh, handed a church covenant or a, a, at some point in the morning. If you didn't, they're back. I'm not, we're not going to read it. I've gone too long. What I want you to do, though, is, is to, to read through this. This is, this is what it takes to be a member. Profession of faith, baptism by immersion, and a willingness to sign this church covenant that says you belong. That we belong to you, and you belong to us, and we're going to serve Christ together. And I want you to read this, especially in light of the passages that I've shared this morning, and say, is that something I need to do? is to invite this church into my life as I commit myself to the life of this church. Is that something you need to do? Even if you're already a member, I want you to read it. Because just like every year on July 29th, Shelly and I try to go out to dinner somewhere. We fail more often than we have succeeded. But we try. But you know what we do every July 29th? We remember our wedding vows. We remember the commitment that we made to one another. This church covenant, those of you who are members, this is the commitment you made to us, to one another. It's time that you make a habit out of regularly remembering the commitment you've made and asking yourself, am I walking in it? If you read this church covenant and go, I'd like to be a church member, there are membership application packets on the back table in the foyer. I realize I've been very confusing about which back table, but just search. You'll find it. And in this, in this membership application, it is simply telling your story, 
of salvation and whether or not you have been baptized and why you'd like to be part of this church, signing the membership covenant, turning it into me. We might interview you if we've got questions. If we can read what you've written and go, yeah, we know you're a believer and we want you in. That's all it'll take, and then we'll have a vote to, to allow other members to affirm your covenant and that they want to take responsibility for you. So, some final thoughts. Jesus has placed you in the local church, and I want to say, if this is the church you attend most often, Jesus has placed you in this local church church and he has equipped you to serve and and as a part of this local church you are responsible for and to others in this church for sin and for encouragement and that church leaders are here to help you become faithful ministers not do all of the ministry for you and so today if you understand these things and you're not a member here It's time for you to reconsider that. It's time for you to think about why am I not a member? If all of these things are true, that I was put here by God, that I'm responsible for my fellow believers and they for me, and the church leaders are here to help me do the ministry I was made for, why will I not join in? Why will I not belong wholeheartedly? Why will I not make it clear that these things are true in my life? I don't know why. Maybe it's time for you to think, I should be a member here, and I should formalize this relationship. It's time to stop dating. You can date forever, right? But what dating does is one day you can just decide you don't like it anymore and you can break up. Church membership is like formalizing the relationship to where we will stick with you and we long for you to stick with us so that we can grow into Christ-likeness together. Forgive me for going a little long. I thought I could blast through some of those verses faster, but it's really, I can't just read it and leave it. I gotta just talk about it a little bit. I thank you for your patience. I do wanna encourage you, if you are interested in church membership, in, because you understand for the, maybe the first time why it's significant, why it matters. When you live 30 minutes away, if you haven't said, please keep track of me, it's hard to keep track of you. Church membership is significant and meaningful. So check out the resources. Encourage anybody who wants to read more about church life, rediscover church. Everybody, read the covenant. Member or no, and if you read that covenant and go, I need to belong, membership packets are on the back table in the foyer. Let's pray as our worship team makes their way forward, and uh, we'll wrap up the service with one last song. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you that you have given so much through your son, Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who's in charge of this body. You are the one who builds it, who equips it. You are the one who has chosen each and every one of us to be here. I pray that this morning we would recognize that we are the stones you have chosen to place in this building and you are building all of us together. Help us to, to know that this is our place, that we are the ones that you've, you've put here. And then help us to begin to walk in that by being responsible for one another, from, from low sins, simple sins like, 
like language that needs to be corrected, coarse language that goes against your word, all the way up to things like adultery or choosing to, to walk in a life of, of unrepentant uh, sin and in, in, in stealing. or just, just help us to be responsible for one another, Lord. To, to support one another to overcome sin. To support one another to live good and right lives. Thank you for each other. Thank you for the place you've given us. Thank you for each other. And, and, and thank you for the ability to walk with one another in Christ-likeness. Lord Jesus, this morning I pray that you would call certain individuals to renew their commitment to this church. They've signed the covenant, but they've been negligent in this relationship. Help them to double down and connect. And for others, Lord, I know it's the first time maybe they see the value in church membership. I pray that you would give them the boldness to follow through, to walk through the application process, to stand up for the potential interview, maybe to get baptized by immersion for the first time in order to identify with this body that you've placed them in. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for doing such a great work to bring us together. We are your slaves. You are our master. Lord of all, we serve you. In your name we pray this morning. Amen. Let's worship together in song. Stand if you'd like. Sit if you need to. comes for us all Oh how nature acquaints us with the nature of patience like a seed in the snow I've been buried to grow for your promises loyal from sea to sequoia and i know though the winter's long even richer the harvest of though my waiting prolongs even greater your promise to me like a seed i believe the low into sun and as I gaze I am minded in the light of your brightness like a fly to the snow I'm renewed in your melt the ice of this wild sun Till the barren is beautiful And I know Though the winter is long even richer The harvest it brings Though my waiting prolongs even 
can see the promise. I can see the future. You're the God of seasons, and I'm just in the winter. If all I know of harvest is that it's worth my patience, and if you're not done working, God, I'm not done waiting. You can see my promise, even in the winter. You're the God of greatness, even in major. All I know of seasons is that you take your time. You could have saved us in a second, instead you sent You have been placed here by Christ. Belong. Belong with us. If you're a member and you've read through the covenant again and you want to renew your covenant with us, it's not something you have to do, but if it's something you want to do and rededicate yourself as a church member after reading this, encourage you can sign it and just place it right here on the altar and renew your covenant with your church. Remind yourself why it matters that you're here faithfully doing the ministry you were called to, loving each other through sin and trouble that we might all be more like Christ. So I encourage you to consider that this morning, to rededicate yourself in this covenant. Once again, it's not something you have to do, but it's something you can do for your sake to remind yourself like a renewal of wedding vows. God bless all of you. I've already told you what's coming up this week, so don't forget. You'll get an email later today to remind you of it all. And belong to the church because Christ has put you here. If you need anything, don't ever hesitate to call or text. I'm never too busy and neither are our other elders. It could take 20 to 30 minutes sometimes, but they'll get back with you. You guys have a blessed week and we'll continue to pray for you in our efforts to help you do the work of the ministry and belong wholeheartedly to the church. God bless.